um, just a little bit more about me. So Peter Foster, married to Jocelyn, she's down there. We have, um, we have two boys. Um, one will turn 30 this year, one will turn 28 this year. Um, my wife will turn 42 this year. <laughs> I wish, no, I shouldn't say that. Um, they're, they're, they're both married to Kaylee and, and, to, um, and to Danny. We have two, um, two grandchildren, one's four. The interesting thing about four-year-olds, eh? The whole world centres around them, don't, don't you agree? His name is Cooper, and my, my eldest um, son and, and his wife, uh, she's pregnant with their first one, which is really cool. And so I said to Cooper the other day, I said, what shall we call Uncle Foz and Auntie Dee's baby? And he stops and looks. I reckon he's quite a thoughtful young fella. And his name's Cooper, and he says, Cooper too. <laughs> Just reflecting that the world is the centre Hey, for, for, for those, but, but we, we, we um, love our grandchildren. Um, um, some people will know of my younger brother. Um, I don't talk too much like that, but I'm, I'm one of these people that's branded by, hey, let me introduce you to Peter Foster. His brother is the All Blacks coach. That's what I get all the time, quite, quite, quite regularly, and I'm over fighting it now, so, so that's life. My, my older brother, um, Greg, um, Greg and Faye, Greg is um, head of the Salvation Army um, Social Housing for New Zealand. So that's, so that's what he, he does, very busy man, zipping around the place, building houses left, right and centre. Um, and so I was pastor at Fokatani Baptist Church and, until this time last year for 17 years. Before that, I was pastor at what is now called North Pairua Baptist Church, which was, when I was there, it was called Whitby Church. Before that, I was on the pastoral team of uh, Glen Eden Baptist Church. Before that, I spent my life in primary school staff rooms, sometimes teaching children and all, all that sort of stuff. I sometimes wonder what those kids have turned out like. But um, anyway, that, so that's a little, uh, a little bit of my background. I, um, I loved being at the... Um, Groundbreaking soil turning thing last week. I um I was involved for quite a while in what's called the Baptist Assembly Council, along with Ken Edkins, and I would always travel to Ken and Helen's place early in the morning when we we're going up for a meeting, and Ken would take me up to Auckland. We'd go up to Auckland with Ken's car, and we would have discussions about. And Ken would say, "I reckon we need another church in Papamoa." So kind of it was great being at the turning of that, uh, that soil and seeing um, a dream. Um, well, the dream was when you guys were planted, way before the building, the, the, the soil was turned, but it was great to be there again and see the outworking of that dream. So uh, Ken, just uh, publicly say thank you for holding on to that dream. And uh, I appreciate the way that the Lord moved, moved through that. And, um, and I know with full sincerity that Ken and Helen have held on to that dream because of honouring God and, and, for no, and for no other reason than that. So anyway, Glenn, Colin contacted me and says, Pete, can you preach two weeks ago? I said, yep. He said, we're doing a series through Matthew. 
Um, you can either do that or do something on your own, uh, do anything you like. So I thought, I, now as I was preparing this passage this week, I was thinking, I wish I'd said I'd do something on my own <laughs> because he told me the passage and, and um, I thought, oh, that'll be easy. That'll be a breeze. I can do that. That's, a, that's an easy passage um, because the cliche of this passage is um, make sure that when tough times come, you look to Jesus. That's it. There's the answer. So coffee time? <laughs> so, let, so let me read the passage and, uh, and um, we'll, go, we'll go from there. I'm kind of in like co-pilot mode here, but anyway. So let's read it. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A gale arose on the lake so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Sorry, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. So great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This series, Colin told me, is called Take Heart and Follow Me. And when I started looking at this passage, I thought this is going to be easy because um, it's just make sure Jesus is in your tough places. Make sure you, in, you invite Jesus into your tough places. And then I started to unpack this and a few things came to mind. Firstly, this is not a parable. So, so parables didn't necessarily happen in life. This is a true event that happened to the disciples and to, and to Jesus. So I'm trying to interpret a, a true event that happened by, by looking at it and looking at it um, later on in life. And so I was thinking to myself, what does it actually mean if uh, Colin and the team have decided that Matthew is take heart and follow me. So I had a look at this concept of taking heart. To have one's confidence, courage or happiness bolstered by something. So something happens not quite how you wanted it, but you can see a silver lining around it. So for example, I, I like hunting. Um, well, taking heart would be, well, I didn't get anything, but I take heart that I saw some animals. Hey. Or you went fishing, but nothing. But great to be on the water and better than a day at work. That's taking heart. You're being bolstered. Or you golfers. That was not the, day, the best day, but at least I didn't lose a ball. Or, and you could add your own take heart kind of things. You know, that dinner wasn't that nice, but at least I'm full. Yeah. Hey, take heart. At least you got some food. At least you got some food. 
And so I was thinking about that and then I was thinking about the situation that the disciples found themselves and Jesus found themselves in a boat. And I started to think, I wonder if Jesus was really putting, the, this whole event was Jesus putting the disciples to some sort of test, some sort of test, just seeing how have things gone with them. Um, you see, in Matthew's Gospel, as you go through Matthew's Gospel, as you've gone and you got to chapter eight, for me, this seems the very first time that the disciples have had to actually do something. And if you read on to Matthew, you realise that it's not all of the 12 disciples because Matthew, the tax collector, hadn't even been invited to be a disciple at that point. That comes later on in the story. But it was like Jesus was saying, I want to see if you've put everything so far that you've learnt into action and let's just see what's happened. So right up to this point, the disciples had witnessed and heard fantastic teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. So that's kind of a cognitive thing for them. They sat down, they listened to Jesus. Jesus didn't ask them of anything, but they listened to this fantastic teaching about seek first the kingdom of God, about the golden rule, about blessed are those, all those sorts of things, they would have heard that. They had observed healings. Chapter six, chapter seven, you see these healings that were going on and they, had, they, they were basically sitting and watching these, heal, these healings and listening and hopefully they were soaking in something. So I, I, I go again and I said, was Jesus putting them to the test? I'm not sure, but let's unpack a little bit about where the disciples are at at this time. Firstly, they had received teaching. In an amazing way, and this teaching was in such an amazing way that in verse seven, verses 28 to 29, it says this, they were astounded at his teaching and his authority. It was a little bit like me after watching some Easter camp videos and listening to two sermons produced by Colin G. And afterwards, I was astounded and fascinated by his teaching and the way that he approached those subjects. I don't know if you've had the opportunity of seeing those. It didn't help when I knew I was come to preach here, thinking, oh, I'm in that shadow. But anyway, so they had been full of this teaching. And I'm gonna call it head stuff, mind stuff. There was not a call for them to put their teaching into action, but they had seen Christ's authority. Made me stop and think. How much teaching do you and I actually need? How much, how much do we need? Is the question that comes to my mind. When surely the thing that's as important to the teaching is... Once I know this, what am I going to do about it? Once I know this, what am I going to do about it? So the first thing is the disciples had received teaching. The second thing is following on from their teaching, 
they had seen miracles. And we've, been, we've heard the testimony from Bruce of miracles this morning. They had seen the authority of Christ being worked out in a practical way. The leper was healed. The centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law, quite close to Peter and that stuff, raises the question for me. How much do miracles in other people and miracles that I hear about actually help to build my own personal faith? Makes me think, a provocative question. Do we actually truly build faith on observations? Do we truly build faith on teaching? Do we truly build faith on observations? The third point that I wanna say about the disciples. They had been given an indication that following Jesus was not necessarily going to be easy. Look at verse 18 and 23 in, in chapter seven. This is about um, let the dead bury their dead and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Raises a question in me. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's not an easy road that sometimes we are led to believe. It's not as straightforward as, as we think it is in following Jesus. It can be, it is, it's a tough activity to be involved in. So three questions. How much teaching do we need? Can we truly build faith by observations? Following Jesus is not as easy as we're led to believe. The fourth thing, and this goes right back to Matthew. They were following Jesus because they had had a personal invitation by Jesus to follow Him. They had received a personal invitation. Right back at the start of the story, Jesus comes to them and says, come and follow me. And they take up that. Raises a question for me. Do we really know deep inside that Jesus has called you and I. Because that's where it all starts. It's like Christ chooses us. And the final, final thought that comes to my mind over this passage, some of these disciples on the boats were fishermen. And so I wanna say this, that most of us, most of us, and this may not be a very deep spiritual thing. Most of us are reasonably good at one thing, aren't we? Most of us are reasonably good at one thing. The disciples were reasonably good at one thing. Matthew was a pretty good tax collector. Let's not unpack the ramifications of that, but he was pretty good. But you look around here, most of you are pretty good at one thing. Let's call it, we could call it a gift. We could call it a calling. We could call it a talent. Whatever it is, we're good at one thing. You've probably cultivated. But so let's have a look 
at what some of these disciples were good at. Particularly Peter, Andrew, James and John, who from what I understand, were in the boat. Now these guys were fishermen and they're all in the boat. Let's have a look at this. The boat would be familiar to them. They would know about boats, wouldn't they? They would know about everything about boats. They had been in boats all their whole, li- their whole life. They could teach you and I a few things about fishing and water and boats, I'm sure. Boats and water kept them alive. It was their vocation. It was their sustenance. When I he- listen to the disciples, I think of Eddie. Eddie's my mate. I popped round to Eddie's place yesterday and he had about four kingies, about this big. Eddie's, uh, Eddie's living the dream. He's sold his farm, he's retired, so he goes fishing at, at, uh, at, at White Island every second day, it seems like it. The interesting thing about Eddie, when Eddie rings me and says, Pete, do you wanna go fishing? I never second guess it. The only thing that stops me going fishing, not going fishing with him, is just being busy. I have full confidence in Eddie in going on the water. He used to be a charter fisherman as well. He knows the Fokitani, some of you who are, who are boaters would know the Fokitani bar can be a, li- a little bit of a problem. I have no problem with going over the bar with Eddie. I have no problem with going out out of the water in Eddie. If I if I looked at the weather and saw that a storm was coming or the rain was coming and Eddie said, I can do it, we can still go out, I'd go, no worries. I trust Eddie because Eddie knows boats. Eddie knows fishing. I think of the disciples. I'm pretty sure the disciples knew new boats. I'm pretty sure the disciples would know, I don't know about tides over there and all that sort of stuff, but, but they would know all that stuff. Their skill set was fishing boats. That which they were good at was the boat. It was their livelihood. They knew nets, they knew fishing. They would be a group of men who knew firsthand the unpredictability of the water, the quick change of weather and wind. In fact, I reckon they were probably so good at fishing that they would plan every time they go out for the unexpected, believing that it would probably never happen, but let's plan for it anyway. They would do all that was needed. They would be the certain, certain, certain people in our environment who would make sure that the radio was on, that the Coast Guard knew that they were going out. They would have looked at the weather and addressed the weather and seen what the weather was like. They would have the life jackets if they have life jackets. And I'm sure if they were fishermen of any worth, they would have expectations about how the day was going, but in the back of their mind, they know full, full well that a well-planned planned day could turn out not very well. They would call up the Coast Guard. Be careful out there, the Coast Guard would say. Be careful out there. One of the things that I regularly hear on our local radio station is the, is the DJ talking to the Coast Guard about what the conditions are like. 
And at the end of every discussion, the Coast Guard would say, be careful out there. At the same time, I might be walking along or, or, or seeing, I live at a Hopi beach, seeing a Hopi beach. And I look out there and I think, what do you have to be careful out there for? It's as calm as anything. I was talking to Eddie the other day. He went fishing on Thursday. He rang me and he said, Pete, Thursday night, he said, Pete, come round and pick up some fish. I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I said, man, I would have been cruisy fishing today. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I was walking along a Hopi beach with my dog and I was looking out there. And even Joss, my wife said, I could paddleboard out there, which is pretty good. There's no surfing out there. The, the, the waves were just as calm as anything. And I said, Eddie, you would have had a great thing. He said, oh yeah, but you got, once you got 15 Ks out, it was terrible. He said, we were all over the place. The weather changes. Depends where you are, depends what your, what, what your situation is. And I'm intrigued by these disciples. I'm intrigued that they're in, the, in this boat knowing full well. I even wonder whether Jesus went to sleep because He thought, these guys will definitely know what they're doing. They're in a boat. I can have a snooze. I can just relax a little bit. I can do it. I can do it. You know, then a storm comes. A windstorm comes. And the storm doesn't upset Jesus. But the interesting thing is it freaks the fishermen out. Why does a windstorm freak fishermen out? I can understand it freaking me out. I can understand it freaking someone else, but why does it freak these guys in? So I go and I think, well, maybe it was one of these one in 100 year storms. Maybe the boat was not a boat that they would normally use. Whatever it was, that which they perhaps had planned for in the past before they knew Jesus had now come to pass. The unexpected amongst the expected has come to pass. And the people that I would have deemed relatively confident in this were freaking out. I've been in a few storms in my day. A friend of mine um, had a 46-foot yacht catch and I remember in the, in the late 1980s going from Great Barrier Island to Auckland on this, um, on this catch and we had massive big waves com compared to the yacht, compared to the oil tanker that went past us. It wasn't particularly big at all, but compared to the yacht we were in. And there were six guys on that um, and trying to keep this boat on, keep going and, and going the right way. We had ripped our main, our ma our main sheet and we were just on motor and um, we were having turns throwing up over the side. We got there, but I've been in a storm like that. Um, I've been in a storm in the bush. This is part of the picture here where we, we, when we put that tent up, you can kind of see perhaps we weren't quite as prepared as we were planning to be because the tent, le tent leaked. But that water there it was, um, is just a trickle, was just a trickle when we put our tent down. And you can see how that tent's on a ledge. 
within three hours, all that bush had disappeared. It was water, it was a raging torrent of water. And where we stood where our tent was, we could feel the stones and the logs rumble through our feet as we're going up there. We've been, I've been in that sort of storm. I've been in a storm that involved and caused significant flooding in Edgecombe a number of years ago. And I've been with people who have been involved with those storms and the heartbreak that it is. And I've watched, I've gone purposely down to the shore of a Hopi beach when the storm's coming up and the wind's coming up, sometimes when they see the tidal waves coming, um, and, and watched what it does. And I've seen banks ripped away and all that sort of stuff. I was just thankful that I wasn't walking along the beach. This storm must have been a big one. But what is curious to me is surely the whole idea of a storm on the water would not have been foreign to the disciples. Surely they would have thought this would have happened. Surely they had even been in relatively big seas. And they looked to Jesus, the one who's meant to have all the answers. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Save us. We are perishing. Fear is their wake-up call to Jesus. It's not an alarm clock, it's fear. And I love Jesus' response. And sometimes we read this response. It's short and it's simple. I'm not completely sure whether he's angry or compassionate or annoyed or or it's his morning mood or whatever it is. I have no idea. But he simply says to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Problem is then sorted and off they go to the other side. They took heart. Their confidence was bolstered. They would have had an increase of courage They were amazed again. He can control the elements. I remember watching that river, that stream become a torrent of river as we were watching it at about three o'clock in the afternoon, feeling the vibrations. And then by six o'clock, it was still going. And then we thought, well, it's time for bed. I think we're pretty safe, went to bed. I woke up the next morning in a fitful sleep and looked out and guess what? It was another trickle. It was literally a trickle. I could cope with anything after that. You know, my confidence was bolstered. There was a sense of, I can actually do this. I can do this. Jesus says to His disciples in that whole action, take heart, my friends. Follow me and I will see you through. I am always with you. I am with you when you think I am with you. I am interested when you don't think I am in, I'm with you when you're, when you're not even interested in me. When you think I may even be asleep or looking in another direction or seemingly showing more interest in other people, but, but not you, guess what? I am still interested in you. Don't ever think 
You don't have to be afraid because I am with you. Take the work that I have started in you. Remind yourself again that I chose you. I will constantly teach you. I will constantly reveal myself to you. And I am constantly with you. And I will constantly put what I teach you and I will invite you to put that into action, which is simply what he was doing with the disciples. Through the ups and the downs, through the expected and the unexpected, Jesus is always there. Jesus is always there. Here is my take on this passage of Scripture. This event to me, this story that we're invited to observe, this true story of the disciples and Jesus, to me is not so much about when the unexpected happens in our life. We look to Jesus. When something happens and we think, man, I should be praying. When something completely unexpected happens. In some ways, it's not too hard to look for Jesus to that. You're going about your everyday life and something happens out of the blue and you stop and you say, why? Or you stop and you say, man, I think I should pray. Or you stop and you say, maybe I should engage God a little bit more. Wake Him up to your own plight and invite Him in. No, I think this event event talks to me more about making sure I have Christ in the midst of the familiar, in the midst of the everydayness of my life. To, To have Him invited into the expected I mentioned before, I I enjoy going hunting. And um, um, Joss, if you were talking to Joss about the hunting, the day before I go hunting, I'm kind of like a little bit OCD. I kind of jiggling around, I'm a bit jiggly and and, and all that sort of stuff. And 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 I like spending time, every time I go hunting, I put everything out on the table that I need. And I put, I put, my, I put my, um, my EPIRB on the table. I put my GPS on the table. Make sure the batteries are all right. Make sure everything's all right. I've got a little vacuum packed thing that has batteries, has a whistle, has a bit of car tube in it and has a lighter in it. And I vacuum, that's vacuum packed. And I put that there just in case. I make sure I have more food than I need. I uh, look at the weather and if it's gonna be a sunny day in Matawai, I still put in my raincoat. I still put the raincoat in. I still put everything in and I map it out every time. I, I, I probably go hunting um, on average once every two, uh, two weeks on a Saturday in a place that I know like the back of my hand. And I would sit here and say, this is a safe place. I don't expect anything to happen, but I'm planning that something may happen and I'll have everything there. And I've got to the point where I am so confident in my ability of being prepared that guess what? I actually don't need Jesus because I'm so familiar with it. I'm so, I'm so confident 
in my ability and I'm so confident that I've mapped out amongst the expected of hunting, the unexpected, and I don't need Christ. Like probably most of the population of the world. They're good at something and they probably don't need Jesus in some ways. Like the disciples, we're on a boat. Why would we need Jesus? We know this stuff. Now this is what I do. I put everything into place. I pack everything into my bag. I get up early the next morning. I drive to my thing, drive to the place where we go hunting. And I now stop. And as I'm walking into the bush, I will constantly now pray a prayer. And my prayer will be this. God, something along these lines. Lord, I'm pretty confident in my ability. I'm pretty confident that I've done everything humanly possible to do things right. And in fact, I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna come out of this, even if there's a storm that happens here, that I'm gonna do, that I'm gonna do okay. But you know what? What would make this day even better is if I know that you are with me. Come with me. I invite you to journey with me. I invite you, if it means that you're confident in my ability, have a snooze as I walk around, but just be with me. I know I can do this, but with you on my side, I can do and be even better. And it would make the day so much more exciting. I don't think this story necessarily is about catastrophe that happens in your life, even though it was a storm that they thought were perishing. This is a story about acknowledging what you are really familiar with and then actually saying, you know what, Jesus, I invite you into that. Be part of me with this. You know, I'm an accountant and I can balance the books with my eyes with my eyes closed, but I want you to be part of this. You know, I'm a, I'm a kiwi fruit orchardist. I know what to do. I know the seasons, but I want you to be part of this. You know, I'm a farmer, but I want you to be farmer. I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm competent in my ability. I'm competent in my training, but I want you to be part of this. I wanna put that which you've taught me, that which you've called me, that which you've given me. And I don't ever wanna take that for granted. And I don't ever wanna take you for granted. I just want you to journey with me every day. And I invite you to do that. And I invite you to encourage me. I invite you to challenge me. I invite you to help me to become the person that I can be because of your invitation that you've given me. So Lord, come, come. I may not be perishing, but Jesus, my day would be so much better 
when I'm aware of you in it than if I'm not aware of you at all. Let's stand together and let me pray with you and then I'll invite the music team to come up and share. Father, I thank you that you are indeed part of our boat, part of our personal boat, that you're there with us. Lord, I thank you that um, if we don't think you're there, it's more about us than it is about you because you're there. And so Lord, I pray that we would be a people that in the everydayness of our life, that we would constantly engage you in it. Lord, that we would not take that which we are really good at and that which we are familiar for granted and acknowledge that we can be better perhaps when we engage You within it. When we know the presence of Your Spirit and when we know Jesus Christ in it. And so come Lord, we surrender to You. We surrender to You on this journey that we know is costly. We surrender to You again on this journey of following You, which You know You have given us all that we need through Scripture, through teaching, through the body of Christ. We continue on this journey where we can see good things and wonderful things of a transcendence happen in people's lives and in our own lives. And Lord, with all of that, we just wanna continue to build faith in You every day, faith and love and invite You to be part of us again. Lord, I pray that for each person here. In Jesus' Name, Amen.